Okay, well, we're going to be in Matthew chapter number 16. Matthew and chapter 16, if you'd stand in honor of God's word here this morning. It is good to have guests here with us. It's good to look out and see uh, Brother Brad, Miss Connie Lowry right over here. Just raise your hand, Brother Brad. Some folks know who I'm talking about. He serves as missionary in Croatia. And uh, Miss Connie's dad, Brother John Aldridge, just went home to be with the Lord, faithful servant of the Lord, had the funeral service here on Friday. And a good number of folks here, a lot of preachers uh, came because he's been a help to a lot of preachers. And so that was a real blessing. Good to see you all uh, here this morning as well. Okay, so Matthew chapter number 16. And uh, our text is going to begin in verse number 13. We've come through the... Through the uh, first part of the chapter last Sunday, in case you were not here, we saw how that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the leading religious group that was there in Jerusalem and throughout that region, they came to where Jesus was, and they were tempting him, trying to trip him up. They never were successful at that. You'd think they'd learn, but they didn't. They just, kind of, they just kept trying to trip him up. And, and they said this to him, show us a sign and we'll believe. Well, they, they, had, they had no real reason or no real desire to want to believe. They were just trying to disprove him, a setup. And he said, I'll give you one sign, the sign of Jonas, the prophet. And he's referring to how that Jonah was in the, in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. So would the son of man, Jesus, so would he be in the grave for three days and three nights. And he says, uh, he's basically saying, that'll be your sign. If I rise from the dead, believe what I said. Well, friend, listen, he rose from the dead. You better believe what he said. And that was a sign that he gave to them. So there's all this opinion that's going on around about who Jesus is. I mean, there's quite a stir. I mean, people are saying all kinds of things and they're spinning uh, the situations and, and even misrepresenting him. I mean, even when he healed uh, a man that was demon-possessed, uh, the Pharisees said, well, he did that by the power of Beelzebub, by demonic power. Well, that's not how he did that. But there's all these opinions that are going on around about, about Jesus. By the way, it's not ceased. There's still a world filled with all kinds of opinions about the Lord Jesus. So read, let's read about it now in Matthew chapter 16 and beginning in verse number 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? Who do men say that I am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist. Well, at least they recognize him as a Baptist. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say, and some, Elias. And others, Jeremiah. Or one of the prophets. You know what they're saying right there? You're somebody very significant. He's significant. Oh my, is he ever. Now notice verse number 15, please. And would you please personalize the question that Jesus asked his disciples. He saith unto them... But whom say ye that I am? Who do you say that he is today? Who, uh, sir, ma'am, today, who do you say he is? That's an important question for you to answer. In fact, it's, your, it's the most important question you'll answer in life. Who do you say Jesus is? 
Would you like some help? <laughs> well, Peter gives us some help right here. Look at it, verse 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. <laughs> and Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Simon, or Peter, had just said, you're the son of the living God. He said, that's right, you're the son of Jonah. <laughs> Barjona means son of Jonah. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Please notice this in verse 17. For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. Flesh and blood, humanity. Humans. Has not, they have not revealed this to you. You didn't come up with this on your own. But notice this. But my Father, which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, thou art Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Verse number 20, then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus, the Christ. Right? It wasn't the right time to do that just yet. Now, now listen, now's the time. Okay, so don't, don't say, well, he said don't do it. No, now's the time. There's a reason why I said, don't tell them that I'm the Christ at this point. We'll get to that. <clears throat> Maybe. Honestly, I mean, the more I got to studying this, I thought, oh my word, there's two messages here. There's a message on who Jesus is and there's a message on what the church is. And both are so important. I don't want to short either one of them. So we'll see how far we get. Amen. All right. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. We're going to jump right to it here today. The title of the message here this morning is this, Your Opinion of Jesus. Your opinion, your opinion, your thoughts, your ideas, your conclusions, your opinion of Jesus. We have an opinion about nearly everything. I guess it's an opinion about having opinions, but I think that we have an opinion about everything. I mean, we have an opinion from everything from uh, cars, vehicles, which car you ought to drive. There are Chevy people here and Ford people here, and, and uh, I better not get into that. Um, sports teams and sports figures, who's the best team in the NFL, who's the best team in NCAA, you know, in, the, in, in national football, what's going on right now, uh, who had the best game yesterday, who's the best quarterback, who's the top running back, uh, uh, who's the best basketball player of all time, what do you think about Michael Jordan, what do you think about LeBron, what do you think about, I mean, we got opinions about all kinds of people and all kinds of things. Coffee, Coffee, I mean to tell you, we got opinions about coffee, you know, what, what brews the best. Uh, we've got opinions about phones, you know, what, what kind of phone you're carrying today. And, and we've got opinions about politics and political figures, don't we? 
Yeah, polarizing. I mean, we could easily po polarize, you know, this uh, congregation here today. I mean, just political figures and what you think about them, what your spin is on them. And listen, many of those things, I mean, we may talk about and, and in addition to that, so many other things. But, but the thing that really matters today the most is what your opinion is about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what really matters for all of eternity. Because what your opinion is about a sports figure, well, I'm telling you what's going to happen. Whatever sports figure is, he's going to get older and he's not going to be able to jump as high as he used to. I can guarantee it. And he's not going to be able to swing as hard as he used to. He's not going to be able to throw as hard as he used to. I, I've got a lot of baseball players that I love and, and, and to think about, but now a lot of them can't throw anymore. <laughs> can't hit anymore. I mean, people change. But I'll tell you today, somebody that does not change, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And for, listen, you won't stand before some political figure. You won't stand before a sports star. It does not matter today who you think is the best. It doesn't matter really what car you think is the best. Those things are temporary. But what you think about Jesus Christ will impact your life for all of eternity. There's all kinds of opinion going on about who Jesus was and opposition towards him was mounting and it was very, very clear that the disciples would be clear I'm sorry, it's very important that the disciples would be clear on who Jesus is. This was not the first time that they had acknowledged that he was the Messiah. In fact, it was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, who said in John chapter 1, recorded for us, preserved for us, he said, Come, come, Peter, we have found him of whom the Old Testament talked about. I'm, I'm, I'm not prophesying, I'm <laughs> paraphrasing. I'm paraphrasing here just a minute. He said, come, we found him who is the Messiah. That's what they said. We found the Messiah. Well, that's very significant. So this is the first time that they had acknowledged him as a Messiah. But listen, listen this morning. This was a very crucial time that they should acknowledge who he is. And this was a very unique place for them to do so. Well, I think this is a crucial time in your life. It's a crucial time in our lives. And could I submit to you this today here at Southwest Baptist Church and guest as well. This is a very crucial time in our nation that we who name the name of Jesus Christ should be convinced to the depths of our very souls as to who he really is. The Lord uh, took his disciples and the Bible tells us in verse number 13, if you look at it again, it says when Jesus came, now they came too, but Jesus is the focal point right here. Are you, are you listening to me here this morning? Jesus is the focal point. It says that when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea Philippi was about 25 miles north and to the east of where they were at the Sea of Galilee. Why would he go that far? Why couldn't he just have this discussion right there on the Sea of Galilee? He had a lot of discussions with his disciples in a lot of different places. Why did he go into Gentile territory in the Caesarea Philippi? There must be something significant about Caesarea Philippi. They followed the, uh, the waters of the, of the Jordan River upstream to the headwaters, what would be the headwaters of uh, the Jordan River there in the mountains uh, in that area of of Caesarea Philippi. There's another Caesarea that's on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And that's why this one's called Caesarea Philippi. It was given to Herod the Great uh, from Caesar Augustus. Herod the Great, after he died, it went to his son, Herod Philip. And so it was called Caesarea in honor of 
Caesar, and Philippi in honor of himself, Philip. <laughs> That's what's going on. Now, listen, this is a very secluded area. There's not people around. We've grown so used as we follow Jesus here through the book of Matthew to have people all around. But really, listen, this is just the disciples. This is just in. This is a secluded place. This is a quiet place. This is a time of reflection. And, and may I say to you today, I think it's important for every one of us to come to some of those points in times where it's just kind of a quiet place for you to stop and think. Church can be that way. Now, I hope it's not so quiet that you go to sleep. Amen, because we got some very important things to consider here today. But this is a quiet place. This is a moment of reflection. This is a time for you to think. This is a time for you to consider who he really is. They were in Caesarea Philippi. Um, no crowds were around. It was a Roman city. It's known for this confession. Listen to it. Caesar is Lord. That's what it was known for. Caesar is Lord. Now, to say that anybody else is Lord in Caesarea Philippi was not a good idea. Could cost you your head. Could cost you your life. I mean, this was getting to be serious business under Rome. I mean, things are just ramping up here. Okay, another thing about Caesarea Philippi, I think that weighs into this that is very, very significant and helpful for us all to understand is that this was a very religiously diverse area, Caesarea Philippi. It's known in the past for Baal worship. That would be a false god of the Canaanites. It was known for Baal worship. It was also known as the birth, birthplace of a Greek god, little g. False god. There's only one god. Okay. And we're getting to that. But it was the birthplace of a Greek god known as Pan or Pan and and, and so it's known as there. And so there's all kinds of temples and shrines that were around there. There was a temple that was built in the honor of Caesar Augustus himself. So this was a very pluralistic society. A very broad-minded society, a very broad-minded location where people were tolerant of all kinds of religious thought, except for those that said they had the truth. They would say things maybe like this. There is no such thing as absolute truth. Is that an absolute truth? Okay, some of you got that. I'm going to have to move on. But in other words, this was a place where everybody had their own truth. Everybody had their own truth. I have my God. You've got your God. Hey, leave me alone about my God. Leave me alone about my religion. Leave me alone about my religious views. Everybody's got their own truth. Say, well, that is being repeated today in the United States of America. Everybody's got their own truth. Hey, as a citizen of the United States of America, I'm glad that everybody can believe what they want to believe. But as a Bible believer, as a Christian, I, I've got to be concerned about souls of men that are not believing what is true about Jesus. There's a distinction that is there. So they had this pluralism that was going, this inclusivism that was going on, this religious diversity that was going on. And, and so in the midst of all that, Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, 
We're about to have this week what we're calling the 1040 prayer conference. Uh, that, that would be the 10th parallel between the 40th parallel and there stretching across North Africa to Asia, across, of course, the Middle East would be the least evangelized section of our world today in which live predominantly Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus. And a lot of people would say, you know, just leave them alone. Let them have their own religion. But friend, listen, if we come to the conclusion, are you listening to me here this morning? If you and I come to the conclusion that Peter came to, then we cannot leave them alone. We can't. We, we, we cannot in good conscience if what Peter said is true today, then we must be concerned about those that are in Buddhism. Amen. We must be concerned about those that are in Islam. We must be concerned about those that are in India, the, the over a billion people that worship over 300 million gods and goddesses. If what Peter says is true. Now, if it's what? What the rest of Caesarea Philippi and the rest of the world seems like today believes is okay and is all right, then listen, we're wasting our time here on a Sunday morning. We should have slept in. And it was a rainy morning. It would have been a good morning to have slept in. Somebody say amen right there. Maybe you did, but I'm just simply saying, if, if, what, if what Peter says is not true, we're wasting our time. We're out of our minds. We're wasting our money. We're wasting our efforts. We're just spinning our wheels. We're going through life and you only live once. Why do you live? like you're living right now today, Christian. There's all these views about Jesus. Let's look back at our text now in verse number, verse number 13, the latter part of it. He said, who do men say that I am? And they said, the, the disciples answered, well, you know, I mean, not that they had polled the people. By the way, you can't make up your mind about who Jesus is based on what the poll of the people say. Everybody hear that? You can't go by popular opinion. Okay. And, and so here he says, uh, well, they said rather, some say that you're John the Baptist. Now Herod thought that because he was convicted in his conscience because he had killed John the Baptist. And he thought that Jesus was, Jen, was John the Baptist come back to haunt him. All right. Now the Bible does not teach reincarnation. The Bible teaches resurrection. The Bible teaches that it's appointed a man once to die and after this the judgment. The Bible teaches that you're not going to come back as some other person. You're not going to come back as some other animal. You're not coming back as a dog, as a critter, as a cat, as a cricket. You know, you're going to die someday if Jesus tarries his coming and you're going to end up either in heaven or in hell. That's what the Bible says. You say, well, that's not what everybody else is saying. Well, that's, that's the issue of the day today is who, who you're going to go by. Uh, whose words, whose thoughts, whose ideas are going to have the biggest weight. Some said you're John the Baptist. Some say that you are Elijah. They believe that Elijah would come back. And, and, and we could get into that, but we don't, we don't really have time to. The, he was a prophet. Elijah was one that there at the Baal worship, as the prophets of Baal were, were jumping around from the morning till day and lacerating themselves, cutting themselves, trying to get uh, their false god Baal to caused fire to come down from heaven. And they did that from morning to night. And Elijah was the one that said, cry a little louder. Maybe he dozed off on the throne. 
Maybe he's gone on a little bit of a journey. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he stepped out and went to the restroom. Call a little louder. I'm telling you, that's what Elijah said to do. And Elijah prayed just a very short 60-something word prayer and immediately fire fell from heaven and consumed the altar, by the way, that he had drenched with water. You ever try to light water? God lit it up. I'm telling you, friend, because why? Because there's a living God. And Elijah came and he preached with power and he preached with authority. And there were many miracles that were done, not because of Elijah, but because of Almighty God. Some say that he's Elijah. Some say that he's John the Baptist. Some say that he's Jeremiah. Why would they say Jeremiah? Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Our Savior was a man of compassion and acquainted with grief. And he wept over Jerusalem and he wept over lost souls. And he cares about you today as well, friend. So it may be they said, well, he must be Jeremiah the weeping prophet. Or this, Jeremiah also had a lot to do with prophecy about the end times and what would happen to Israel and what would happen to the world. In other words, here's what's going on. They knew that Jesus was somebody significant. They knew that he was somebody that had something to say about the end times. They knew that he had authority. They knew that he had power. They said he's like one of the prophets. I don't know which one he is, but he's one of the prophets. They said basically this. We, we don't know for sure, but we sure have a positive view of who Jesus is. Now, this is commendable. Hang on, is everybody still with me right here? This is commendable. They had a positive view about Jesus. They didn't say, well, I'll tell you who he is. He's some kind of demonic being. He's a demon-possessed man. He's a maniac. He's a lunatic. He's a wacko. He's a cult leader. That's not what they said. They said John the Baptist, Elijah, uh, Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. They had a positive view of Jesus, but I must issue this warning this morning. You having a positive view of who Jesus is is not sufficient. Because a lot of the world has a positive view on Jesus. He's a good teacher. He's a good leader. He said some incredible things. He said things like doing others as you'd have them do unto you. He said in some incredible things. He did some wonderful things. He's a great leader. There's a lot of people today that have a positive view about Jesus. And listen today, you may have a positive view about Jesus. Here you are in this congregation today. Something brought you to church today. They had a favorable view. He's a good man. He's a good teacher. He's a good preacher. He knows a lot. They had a favorable view. But having just a favorable view is not sufficient. And actually, let me turn that around. Does he have a favorable view of you? Does he have a favorable view of the way that you're living your life? Really, it's not so much what do you think about him as much as it is what does he think about you? You didn't like that point. <laughs> it's an important and a good point. Hey, you, you better be concerned about what he thinks about you. You better be concerned about who he knows you to be. They were impressed with him. But again, I think you're starting to get this. It's not enough just to be impressed with who he is. In Mark's account, the Bible tells us that, that Mark... Um, Mark tells us rather that prior to this account here, before they went to Caesarea Philippi, that he healed a blind man. But if you remember that account, he healed a blind man in a very unique way. Normally when Jesus healed a person, sometimes he didn't even have to be there. Sometimes he would, he would take uh, 
clay and just put it on their eyes and it would make them see. And it was done one shot. He would touch a person or they would touch him and they would be instantly healed. A woman who had had an issue of blood for 12 years, all she did, she came behind him and she touched the hem of his garment. It'd be like somebody coming behind someone today and, and touching maybe the, 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 the coat jacket or touching just the hem of their pant leg or something like that. And, and when she touched his hem of his garment, he was, she was immediately healed. But, but it's interesting on this man that Jesus healed, the Bible says that he touched his eyes and he said, how do you see? And this man said, I see men as trees walking. <laughs> I see men as trees. There goes a big oak tree. There goes a big sycamore tree. It was kind of blurry. It, was a, it wasn't clear. And then Jesus, watch this now. Jesus touched his eyes a second time. And then he said, now how do you see? He said, I see all men clearly. You say, all right, what happened right there, preacher? Well, I'll tell you what didn't happen. What didn't happen is it, it didn't happen this way. It wasn't that Jesus failed. It wasn't like he was doing the miracle and touched his eyes and asked him, you know, how do you see? And he said, well, I see men as trees walking. And Jesus said, oh, I didn't use the right miracle. No, it's there purposefully right before this account here of when he asked, who do men say that I am? And men said, I see that you're somebody significant. It's like you're this great individual, this, this rather large, prominent figure in history. You're like a tree walking. Are you following me? And so Jesus then, in that physical illustration, touched his eyes again, and then he said, I see all men clearly. Okay, so here's what's going on. That actually is in Mark's account because it leads right into this account here in Matthew, even though Matthew doesn't record it. It's the same thing that was going on. Jesus said to his disciples, who do the men say that I am? And they said, well, it's like you're John the Baptist, or it's like you're Elijah, or it's like you're Jeremiah. And Jesus said, well, wait a minute, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up. And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You know what it was? Jesus had touched their life and he had touched their life. And aren't you thankful today that it's not just one time that Jesus will touch your life, but he'll touch your life again and he'll touch your life again. Are you following me here today? He'll touch your life through a church service. He'll touch your life through a godly friend. He'll touch your life through a message that's been preached. He'll touch your life even when you were a child, way back yonder as a child. And he touched your life and showed you that you were a sinner and you needed to be saved. And there's only one saved. But thank God he didn't give up on you just one time, but he kept touching your life and touching your life and touching your life. And listen, it's a picture of how that God is patient with us to help us understand who he really is so that we'd understand who we are and our great need of him. Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said that in a religiously pluralistic society, surrounded by all these shrines and temples. 
When I thought about that, I thought about traveling through Sri Lanka and I thought about traveling through India and I looked upon the mountainsides and I saw these shrines and I saw these temples and I saw these multiplicity of gods and goddesses that were there. If you've been to an Indian restaurant, then you know what I'm talking about. You see the pictures and, and you see all these gods, but right there nestled in Sri Lanka are people that have believed that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and they've forsaken their idolatry and they've staked their whole eternity on whether or not Jesus is indeed the Christ. That's what we're here to consider today. You say, well, I'm not an idolater. I don't have a stone God back home. I don't have something made of wood that I bow down to. No, but listen, friend, you can be your own God. And you could say things like this. Well, you know, I just think all this is kind of made up to make people behave. You know, like my mom and dad or my grandparents told me this because they, they wanted me to behave better. To control society. You could say things like that. You could say things like this. You know, this, this deal about the Bible and about Jesus, it's really not that big of a deal. It depends on who you ask. It depends on what's real. It depends on what's real for all of eternity. It really depends on this. Who really is Jesus? If he's a prophet and his bones lie in a grave or they're already decayed, you live any way you want to. If he's just like Buddha or Confucius or some other religious leader, eat, drink, be merry. Tomorrow we die. Live it up. If there's no God, live it up if he's not really who he said he was. That could be your reasoning. That could be your thinking. That would be the opinion of a lot of people today that these things don't really matter. And they're not really true. But how about we listen today to what Jesus said about what Peter said. Because Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood has not, have not revealed this to you. Um, it's safe to say he didn't get this from the Pharisees. He, he didn't get this because Peter went to four years of Bible college and then went into seminary. Here, here's who Peter was, a common everyday man. A fisherman. That was his livelihood. He was not a learned man. He didn't get this because, uh, because they kind of got between themselves as the disciples. They had moments of insight, but not many. <laughs> Let me just get to it. Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but my Father which is in heaven... That's authority. See, you're, Peter came, hang on, let me say it this way. Peter came to the right conclusion because he believed God's revelation rather than man's reasoning. Are you listening to me here this morning? And to be very honest and just straightforward with you today, your, the whole thing that we're doing in life, the whole experience of life is basically this. You're either going to believe God's revelation or man's reasoning. 
Every issue in life is going to boil down to that. How did we get here? Well, I drove in a car and I, right? No, 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 no. Let's go further back. How did we get here? What, what are you talking about? Like the earth. How's it here? How are you walking on two legs? Huh? Why do you look like you are? Why do you act like you do? Why, why, how did you get here? Well, scientists tell us that billions and billions of years ago, poof, a bang, energy. But wait, what was the cause of that? I said, wait a minute, what's the cause of that? Everything has a cause, unless there's one who has no cause. But man would reason and say, we got here because of a great combustion, a great explosion, and boom! And order came out of chaos, man says. You know, that's like somebody saying, you know, that dictionary I just showed some, I had a father and a couple boys in my office yesterday. By the way, I got to lead a young man to Christ. It was wonderful. It was just a great experience, you know. And as a child, he was, well, he's eight years old today, but he understood clearly. I was eight years old when I trusted Jesus as my Savior. When I believed he was the Messiah. Hey, listen, I'm telling you, friend, you don't have to be a college professor here to figure out and understand that you're a sinner and that you're in a heap of trouble with God. Someday you'll stand before him and that you need to be saved and that Jesus is the only way to save you. An eight-year-old boy can figure that out, but I was showing them this dictionary that I have in my office that a neighbor gave to me, and it, seriously, it's about that thick. And it's got all the, it's a Webster's dictionary, I forget what year it is, but it's a big old, big old dictionary. I'll tell you what did not happen that it caused that dictionary to come into being. It was not an explosion in this print shop, and all these pages came together, and all these letters just came together like that. You'd have to have a lot of faith to believe that. You know what's actually easier to believe is that somebody went to great diligent work and with great design and forethought to put this all together in alphabetical order. You say, well, I think it could happen by way of an explosion. I'm not sure about the alphabetical arrangement of it, but I think it could, no. And yet man is saying, we're here by chance. We're here by process of evolution. I tell you on the authority of the revealed word of God today, you are not the process of evolution. You, you are the product of God's creation that he created man in one 24 hour period. And he breathed in the man's nostrils, the breath of life and man became a living soul. And then he took some from the side and he fashioned a woman and he, and he brought her unto the man. He was the father of the bride and the one that performed the first wedding ceremony. And listen friend, he is the one who created them male and female. But human reasoning today says, and even the World Health Organization says, gender is fluid. Gender is, it's not limited to just male and female. It's limited to your, it's, it's open to your opinion. Now, look, I, I know that what I'm saying today is not popular, but that book didn't call us to be popular and that, that book didn't call us to be trendy. And we're not trying to figure out, I wonder which way is society going here? And well, you better not preach that preacher. You'll lose people here. They'll walk right out of here. And we ought to do it with a loving heart and with a kind way. But listen, here's, here's what's going on. There are people that are professing, them to be, professing themselves to be wise and they become fools. 
What we've got to do is get back to the revelation of God, the ancient of days, the one who created us male and female. There's all this confusion now, even about gender. You know why? Because man has got away from the revelation of God, friend. You're going to go through your life either saying, yes, God is right, or I think I'm right. Or I think they're right, and I think she's right, and I think he's right, and I think that politician's right, and I think they're right. And well, uh, excuse me, can you define what a male is and what a female is? I'm not qualified to do that. After years of college and university, you can't tell what a man is and a female is? I bet you that eight-year-old boy that I met with yesterday would say, yeah, a boy is this and a girl is this, and I ain't one of them girls. <laughs> now, he may believe that right now they got cooties, and I, I'm not going to prove it otherwise, but at this point in time, let him think that as long as he can. <laughs> is this making sense? But the world is saying, well, marriage can be between whoever and whatever. But God says, no, it's between a man and a woman, one lifetime. See, I mean, this, this thing plays out at so many levels, but the one, listen, listen this morning, I'm just about done. I see the landing trip and we're not going to get to the church just yet about the doctrine of the church. We're just not going to get there. We're going to table that till next Sunday. You got to come back for the rest of the message. Amen. Amen. Because this is enough to deal with right here, but, but, but here, here's, here's the thing that matters. I mean, the, the creation matters versus evolution and gender matters and marriage matters and all those things matter. But I'll tell you what matters the most is where you'll spend all of eternity. And you're either going to go by what God says, and namely that it, is, that it is essential that a man would be born again. A very religious man named Nicodemus, I read it this morning in my Bible reading. He came to Jesus and he said, we know that thou art come from God because no man could do this except God be with him. And here's what, Jesus, here's what Jesus said. He didn't say, thank you, Nicodemus. You've seen that I'm a great teacher. You've seen that I'm a great prophet. You've seen that I understand a lot of things. No, Jesus didn't, he, he wasn't flattered by that. And I don't think Nicodemus was trying to be flattering. I think he's just, Jesus, knew this. Nicodemus, I, I hear what you're saying, but here's what he said. You must be born again. He just cut right to it today. He said, oh yeah, there's a lot of religious issues that are going on in our day and time, but let me get right to the heart of it. You need to be born again. You need to be saved, we could say from the Bible as well. You need to be born into God's family. And Nicodemus said, wait a minute. I don't think he smacked his head. Hang on, that was me. He said, wait a minute. How can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter in a second time in his mother's womb and be born a second time? He was human reasoning. Human reasoning. Jesus said, no, it's not that. You need to be born spiritually because your first birth was enough to condemn you to hell. You need a new birth where you receive my righteousness that qualifies you for heaven. You could try to sidestep all that today. You could try to get around it. You could say, well, but wait a minute. I'm not like those other people. I've been a member of a church. I've been baptized. I've been sprinkled. I've been poured upon. I've been through a catechism. I, I, I've been through this religious teaching. I've, I've got degrees on my wall. Hey, listen, my friend, listen. None of those things matter. What really matters is has Jesus saved your soul? Have you confessed who he is with your mouth? Namely, that he is the Lord. Even right here in our Caesarea Philippi to say it's not Caesar is Lord, but Jesus is Lord. 
And I believe him for who he is. And I thank him for what he did, that he died on that old rugged cross for our sins and that he was buried according to the scriptures and that he rose again. And somebody might say, yeah, but you know, some say that he just kind of swooned. He just kind of passed out on the cross and then they buried him and he woke up while he was in the, in the grave. After he'd been pierced with a spear and after he bled and after he'd spent the whole night, I'm telling you, human reasoning doesn't make sense, but I'll tell you what makes sense, God and God's word. And God's word says that he was buried and he did rise again. And it also says this, he'll save anybody who'll call on him for salvation. But you might put up a front and say, well, he can't save me, preacher. You don't have any idea who I am or what I've done. He saved a man named Paul who killed a bunch of Christians. Have you killed or knocked off a few? Well, I don't think I've done that. Well, if he'll save him, he'll save you. Jesus has been known to save drunks and drug addicts and prostitutes and homosexuals and, and, and those that, that were in, in unfaithful. And he saved those who grew up in church that weren't bad like a lot of those people were in the eyes of society. But there's just as much of a sin nature in an eight-year-old boy as there is in an 80-year-old man that's about to die and go to hell this morning. I'm, I'm here to tell you, I'm trying to get it across this morning that, listen, you can't go by your human reasoning. You've got to go by the divine revelation of the Word of God. Flesh and blood will confuse you, but our Father which art in heaven will tell you the truth. I close with this. I've shared this illustration before. I've shared this testimony before, but it just really fits real well here at church, so if you'd allow for it. I try not to repeat myself, but 12 years of pastoring, you're bound to. I was flying back from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. And I was flying beside this lady and kind of struck up a conversation with her. And, and uh, she learned that I was a preacher. And so then it was on. She said this, I don't think there's any such thing as sin. Well, if there's no such thing as sin, then we're not in any kind of trouble. It'd be nice to think, yeah, I stole that car, but that's not sin. <laughs> you win some, you lose some. <laughs> You try that with a car dealer. Ah, you win some, you lose some. You lost. <laughs> she said, there's no such thing as sin. I said, ma'am, the, the shooting that just happened the, at their capital, a, a shooting that just happened uh, and people were killed. I said, was that sin? She said, you know, that is sin. I, We talked about the gospel. I said, ma'am, the Bible tells us that there's only one way to be saved. And she said, no, I, I think that there is a bunch of ways that all roads lead to heaven. She'd kind of gotten into some new age thought and some open-mindedness about things. And she said, I think, you know, just whatever religion people want to believe is fine. So we talked about that. And I tried to share what the scripture says, that neither is there salvation in any other, because there's no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved except through Jesus Christ. We talked about that. We had a real good conversation. It didn't get heated or anything. It just, it was, it was helpful. I think it was help, healthy and helpful. At the end of our conversation, I, um, I said, uh, I said, what gate are you going to next? She was flying, I think, to, I was going to Chicago and she was going, I don't know, LA, something like that, maybe, seeing her daughter. And she said, um, she said, I'm going to this gate. And then she asked me, so what gate are you going to? And I looked at my ticket and I'd already checked this out, and it did not have my next gate information on there. And I said, well, it doesn't say what gate, but I can go to whatever gate I want to. <laughs> because all gates lead to Chicago. 
And she said, all right now. <laughs> Human reasoning falls apart. The revelation of God is rock solid in the shifting sands of man's opinion. By whose opinion are you going to live? What's going to shape your opinion about Jesus? The ideas of man are your own ideas or the revelation of the eternal God that we received from the Father. Either your revelation or your reasoning, that's your choice. Let's stand together here today. <clears throat> We're going to have uh, invitation and what that means is simply this. We do this, it's not out of habit. It's purposeful, it's intentional. And it's basically saying this, John the Baptist, when he preached, had an invitation. Jesus, when he preached, had an invitation. Paul, when he preached, had an invitation. And what, it, what it is, is this, it's God inviting you to come and let somebody take the Bible that we've been talking about this morning and show you from God's word that you can indeed know that your sins are forgiven and that you for sure have a home in heaven. This word doesn't say, well, if you'll try real hard, no. It doesn't, it doesn't say, Maybe you can know. It says you can know. You can know. And he is, according to this, and the more time they spent with Jesus and the more that they read their Old Testament and their Bible that they had at that time, the more they came to the conclusion, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I challenge you today, read the Bible for yourself. We're, we're convinced because we've been saved. We're convinced that this is true. And Jesus is true. In fact, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by Him. And you're invited today to come. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And if right now there's something burning in your heart, there's, it's like God is speaking to you, this would be the day. This would be the time for you to respond and to come. You can just walk down any of these aisles from where you are. Come down here. There's men that have a Bible and ladies. And they take you to a, a quiet place where you could listen to what God says about what it means to be saved. Father, I pray for those that need salvation today that you would help them in their opinion of Jesus Christ, that they would listen to the revelation that you've given us through your word, the Holy Bible. <clears throat> and that God, they would trust you as their savior. Now I pray also in addition to that for believers today, that our lives, not just our salvation, but God that you'd help that our lives would be based on your eternal word. Though it is not popular today, and I believe we are at a crossroads much like they were as they were about to go into times of suffering and, and they even forgot in the dark what you told them in the light. So God, right now at this crucial crossroads of Caesarea Philippi right here in Oklahoma City, would you help us to come to those firm conclusions about who you are in Jesus' name, amen. Some are coming today for baptism, some for church membership. I urge you once again to come. If you are not saved today, come and let somebody show you how to be saved. Page 241 is Jesus paid it all. Let's sing it together. And if God has spoke to your heart, please come on this very first verse.